Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, I want to thank you for joining us today on the program. I, I trust that you're being blessed by the Word of God that we're sharing from the book of Revelation. We are 40-some segments into this, so if you missed any of it, you can go back and view them at any time uh, from YouTube. Uh, the best way to do it is simply to go to the link that you see on the screen of our website. And there's a, it looks like our program right on the front page of our website, and you can click that. It'll take it to our our YouTube site where you can watch anything we have aired to date uh, uh, there on the, uh, YouTube. You can also share that with your friends on your Facebook page or any of that kind of stuff to help us to get uh, the gospel out. Uh, I believe you'll be blessed by that. There's also a TBN app you can get for your smartphone, your smart television, your iPad, your iPhone. You can simply go to the uh, store on your device and download the free TBN app and you get all 10 of TBN's channels and you can watch them there uh, either live or archived as well. So there's a whole host of ways to go back and get this series. You can also simply, uh, uh, you know, just like I said, watch it from the website or tune in every week. Tell your friends about us because uh, truly we're starting to catch on around the globe and we, we appreciate deeply those of you who've shared uh, with us about your friends. I'm not going to take a long time in the preliminaries today because this is the fourth segment I've taught on the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. We're going to take a look at that again today. So let me just read the text and then we're going to start in probably in the latter part of it. It says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who was worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. One of the others saith unto me, Weep not, behold the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and of the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. He came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Here's the verse I'm probably going to capitalize on the most in this segment. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people, and nation. They are singing a song. I want you to notice this saying, Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. The song that they are singing, that is a new song, is the song of redemption. And it is not a song that is aimed towards simply the Jewish people, but a song that is aimed towards every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And he's singing to them, Thou hast redeemed us. If you could go back and look at some of the things that we've shared prior to this, we talked about imminent judgments that were coming during this period of time in 70 AD, what we have called the biblical time of the end. Not the end of time, but the time of the end. And the time of the end was the time of the end of this uh, Jewish age and the time of the end of this Mosaic covenant and the birthing of the new covenant. And what we showed you is that when this, uh, it is this slain lamb that opens this new covenant and makes it available to 
every nation, every kindred, every tongue. And John said, I wept much because no man could take this book and open the seals thereof. He loosed the seals of the new covenant and the song of redemption began to be birthed. I can't help but to remember the words of Jesus, I believe it was, when he said, when you see all these come to things come to pass. And he was talking about many of the judgments that would come upon that apostate Israel. And he would say, you will lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. When I think about that, I used to think that when he said your redemption draweth nigh, he's saying your flight's coming closer and you're getting ready to fly. But that's not what he's talking about. He said your redemption. Redemption is more than a trip or an exit, but it is a redemption that was to come where we could sing the song of redemption and salvation available to every creature and uh, uh, that, that could sing this song, whether it be uh, uh, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and every people. And he says, and you've made us unto our God, kings and priests, we shall reign on the earth. And behold, and I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom, strength, and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and such as are under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that lives forever. I'm going to tell you, if an understanding of what you've been redeemed from doesn't jerk a praise up out of you. I don't know what will. I tell you, when I sit and think about the fact that this redemption is not just for me somewhere out in my future, but it is a redemption that was given to me through the death of this lamb that this book is talking about, and that I could sing the song of redemption right now, and as a king and a priest could reign in the earth. Because one of the things that the death of Jesus exacted for me was it gave me the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness so that I could reign right here in life and so could see the kingdom of God manifest in my life right here and right now. Uh, let me just say that uh, when, I, when I begin to think about this song, I, I've been doing a series uh, that uh, we've been, we've been uh, uh, doing uh, uh, just recently in our teaching when we're traveling. And by the way, you can go to my website and, and uh, get a... Uh, uh, our itinerary and see where we're going to be at and come be with us in one of these meetings. But in Psalm 149, I've been teaching a lot from this psalm because it talks about the new song here. And I'm going to touch this because this whole song, and this is going to set us up for the next song, is not a song of coming catastrophes for the believer. It is the song of redemption. So what is about to break forth in, ch in, uh, in chapter 6, 7, 8, and through the rest of the book of Revelation, is it is a it are, they are in fact coming catastrophes that would come upon uh, apostate Israel in 66 to 70 A.D., but that there was not a believer that was uh, uh, that was uh, very few believers. Let me put it that way: very few believers that were actually destroyed in the siege of Jerusalem. Most of them fled to a town called Pella because they had re received the message of Jesus when he said, "When you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, you'll know that it's near, even at the door. Let him which is in Judea flee to the mountains." And when uh, the Roman armies besieged Israel for some unknown reason, they backed off for a season. And when they did, all of the Christians that heard the words of Jesus and believed this prophetic word literally escaped the city and went to 
another town called Pella. And it was just shortly after that that there came great famines, great earthquakes, great pestilence upon that land until the elements melted with a fervent heat. And that whole Jewish system was dismantled and destroyed. But uh, I want us to look at a few things concerning this new song. This is Psalm 149. It said, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the temple and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Now let me tell you that everything about this psalm that David is releasing, everything about this psalm to me screams new covenant. First of all, he says, let them sing a new song. And I've already connected you uh, to the book of Revelation where it says, and they sang as it were a new song, singing, thou hast redeemed us. So the words of this song are the song of redemption. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every nation, every kindred, and every tongue. Uh, not only is the new song, see everything about this, you know, when, when I, get, I get so excited about all this because see, I, I believe what we don't, we do not realize that some of the things that I'm teaching about this transition from the last days of the old covenant to the new day of the new covenant, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is saying we need to lose our last day mentality and get a new day mentality because we really need to be living in a new day because in this new day, there's a new creature. In this new day, there's new tongues. In this new day, uh, there is a new tabernacle or a new temple. God moved out of a physical building into the temple of God that we are. Uh, an old Jerusalem was about to pass off the scene with a great noise and be destroyed and, uh, and plowed like a plowed field. And God would give birth to a new Jerusalem, an old heaven and an old earth, which was that whole Jewish polity and their temple. The Jews connected that in their thinking to a new heaven and uh, or to a heaven and an earth. So that old heaven and that old earth passed away and a new heaven and a new earth came on the scene. If that new heaven and new earth did not come on the scene, then we are still locked into the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, where he said, until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass till all be fulfilled. I submit to you that Jesus was the fulfillment of all that God spoke through the law and the promise, that he, the prophets. He was the fulfillment of all the promises. In the book of Galatians, it says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So uh, we're, we're, every jot and tittle of the law was fully kept and met in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we live in a brand new day where we ought to be able to sing a new song of redemption. Uh, we are not in our sin. We've been redeemed by the spotless blood of this lamb. Worthy is this lamb who has prevailed, who's overcome to loose the seals and release this new covenant. And last but not least, but the book of Revelation declares in chapter 21, behold, I'm making all things new. So there's an ongoing newness and uh, God as he brings new creatures. Where if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We ought to be singing something new 
instead of something old. We're either going to, in the new covenant, modify the behavior of an old man, or we're going to develop and mature a new man. Secondly, he said, let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Zion is another word that to me declares new covenant. It goes on to say, uh, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. That again speaks of new covenant to me because in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than to any two-edged sword. But the context of Hebrews 4 is that he said, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. But the verse above that says, let us labor to enter into his rest. And so the word that flows from rest is, a, uh, is the word that flows from this new covenant. The only word that's quick and powerful or life-giving and powerful is the word that flows from rest. It is the new covenant word. Uh, he also says, let, the, let, the, let the, the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. When I think about beds, I think about a bed being the place of rest and reproduction. So everything about Psalm 149 really is screaming new covenant. With that being said, I want us to take a look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and I want to begin reading in uh, about the 18th verse, I believe it is, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 18, because it comes along and kind of confirms some of these things I'm saying. He says this in verse 18, this is the book of Hebrews. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor under blackness, darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now I want to stop by telling you that the first couple of verses, 18 through 21, is what the writer of Hebrews says you have not come to. You did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to fear and trembling. You did not come to a God who says, stay away. You've not come to a God who said, if you touch the edge of this mountain, you will be thrust through with a dart. You did not come to the mountain that Moses talked about, where Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake because the sight was so terrible. Even Moses looked at that mountain and said that it's, I exceedingly fear and quake. I came to tell you that you have not come to that mountain. That mountain, ladies and gentlemen, is Mount Sinai. Now, he said you did not come to that mountain. Tragically enough, that's the mountain that we bring most people to every week in the American churches. We keep on bringing them to a mountain of fear, a mountain of a God who says stay away, a mountain of a God who's ready to kill them if they touch the edge of the mountain, a place of fear and trembling. But he says you did not come there. And then he switches gears in verse 22 and says, but you are come. You are not coming to, you're not marching to Zion, you are come to Mount Zion. Now remember Psalm 149 said, sing a new song. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. The, word, the, the whole concept of Zion here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, for you are come to Mount Zion, is that is in contrast to the fact that you did not come to Sinai. So he's showing you that Mount Sinai, the old covenant, you didn't come there. Mount Zion, you in fact have come to. You're not marching there, but Mount Zion is a picture uh, of, of the new covenant. For you are come to Mount Zion, and look at this. This is not my opinion. It's what your Bible says. But you've come to the city 
of the living God. And, and you have come to the heavenly Jerusalem and literally you've come to a, uh, a feastal gathering of angels or a, to a numerable company of angels. In the book of Revelation, the angels is that in chapter five, verse nine, where it talks about this new song is that uh, uh, there's a feastal gathering of angels as they begin to release this new song of the new covenant and this redemption in this little book that's open. And so I'm telling you, as they begin to sing this new song, he begins to say, for you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. See, the city of the living God is not just some future distant place off in the Milky Way somewhere. It is the community of faith. The apostle Paul said, you're already built upon the foundation, the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So, you know, if in the book of Revelation chapter 21, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb are in the foundation, that's not just because they signed their name in a piece of concrete. It's because that this, this heavenly city, this community of faith, this new Jerusalem, if you will, this new bride of Christ, this new tabernacle is not a place, it's a people. Uh, so many things declare that. Uh, the third chapter of the book of Revelation, when it says to him that overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me. Oh, no, it says, to him that overcomes, I will make him in a, pill, a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, that doesn't mean God's going to make a big concrete statue out of you and put you in, uh, you know, some building. He's talking about a spiritual house. And he says, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God, and you will go no more out. And I will write upon you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. So he tells you in Revelation chapter 3 that the overcomer is the city in which God lives. I hope you're seeing what I'm talking about in this new covenant. Everything's becoming new. An old heaven and an old earth is passing off the scene. A new heaven and a new earth is coming on the scene. An old Jerusalem is passing. A new Jerusalem is coming on the scene. An old creation is passing and a new creation is coming on the scene. An old tabernacle is passing off the scene with its blood sacrifices, but a new tabernacle is coming on the scene that's made out of lively stones that are fitly framed together to build a habitation of God through the Spirit. Revelation 21 said uh, that he showed me the bride, the Lamb's wife, and he said, I looked, and he said, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. I love how the Message Bible translates that in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation. And I've repeated that so many times on this program, but it's worth repeating. He says that in, in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made his home with men. God finally realizes his dream of not just walking among us, but living inside of us, governing through us, living his life, manifesting it through us. Let, ladies and gentlemen, is simply New Testament kingdom living. We're living in the kingdom even right now. We've, the moment you got born again, you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. So we have come. This is what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. In chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, the Bible said, Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Abraham, under the old covenant, was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. But in Hebrews 11, by faith, he sojourned in a strange land, as in the land of promise. But in the new covenant, we are not living in a strange land. We are living in our promised land. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, our promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he admonishes them not to, to, to he said, let us therefore fear, lest a promise of entering into his rest 
you would come short of it. And he compares that with that wilderness journey of the children of Israel living in a strange land. But he said, you are not that you've not that you're not you're not living like a stranger uh, any longer. But you have come. We've come into our promised land, which is called Christ. And out of that flows milk and honey for in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to the fathers. He is our promised land. So when I see him talking about, uh, you know, living in a promised land, you've come to this Mount Zion, you've come to the city of the living God, you've come to uh, Mount Zion. Uh, in chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, not, I'm sorry, in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, Abraham in chapter 11, Abraham is looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And in chapter 12, he describes the fact that in the new covenant, the new covenant believer is not looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. In chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, you have come to that city. And that city whose chief architect is God is the community of faith. It is the bride. It is the Lamb's wife. It is what you're a part of right now. And it was what was replacing that old fear that old trembling, that old message that says, stay away. He said, but you've come to that innumerable. You come to that feastal gathering of angels. You've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And you have already come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. We've come there is what he's saying. And to Jesus, we've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Listen, folks, if we've not come here, we're in real trouble. Because we're still under the blood, if we're still listening to the blood of Abel that speaks and calls for revenge, we're in real trouble. But the blood of Jesus from Calvary's tree says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we've not come to the General Assembly, if we've not come to the city of the living God, if we've not come to Mount Zion, then we've not come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant either. But I'm telling you what's pictured in Revelation chapter 5 is this slain lamb is what opens this book of the new covenant and releases it. So it ought to jerk a praise up out of you and make you want to say, thank you, Lord, that my redemption is available to me. I'm singing the song of redemption so that even what happens in the book of Revelation on the heels of this song of redemption, that these angels and that these living creatures are set the stage and saying to us as believers, for believers, this is not what's coming to you because I've not appointed you to wrath, but I've, I've appointed you to salvation. So we can sing the song of redemption and say that everything that was coming on the heels of that is absolutely pointed to the believer and saying, you need to sing the song of redemption because for you, this is not what's coming to you. It's what you've been redeemed from. That's powerful to me. We've come, then it says then in verse 25, see that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth. Now he's talking about Moses here and that old covenant. He said, for if they escape not him who refused to spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who's talking from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, what he tells you here is that if they did not escape 
from the voice of the one who spoke from Mount Sinai. That that voice then shook the earth and it shook the heavens when it spoke out of Sinai. And then he makes the, dra- the, 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 the massive contrast by saying, if we did not escape, if we refused the one who spoke on earth, which was the old covenant and the old law of Moses, how much more will we not escape if we turn away from the one who's talking from heaven? Or in other words, he's talking to Hebrews here who are about to miss the day of their visitation. They're about to draw back to perdition. They're about to miss the mark on purpose. I talked about that on the last segment. If you sin willfully, once you've been enlightened and tasted the powers of the age to come. He was talking to Hebrews who had tasted of this new covenant age and were about to go back to animal sacrifice and blood sacrifices of bulls and goats. And he said, if you do that, you're walking back over the blood of Jesus and you're counting the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing. And you're doing despite to the spirit of grace, but we're not of them who draw back. So what he's simply saying is, is that don't move away from the one who's talking from heaven because there's a voice that's being released right now on the planet. According to Hebrews 12, that's not only going to shake the heavens, it's shaking the heavens and the earth. I'm telling you, it did it historically. It shook the heavens and the earth. Everything that could be shaken was about to be shaken. The elements were about to melt with a fervent heat. They were about to pass away with a great noise. And God was about to release to us a kingdom which could not be removed because everything that could be shaken was going to be shaken. What was being shaken was not just world economies. We try to bring that somewhere over into our future and talk about something out in the future. What was being shaken shaken was the old covenant so that it could be removed. And if it was removed, then we could receive a kingdom which could not be moved because everything that could be shaken was that old system. And But he says, we've received a kingdom now which cannot be moved and that we could have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence for uh, godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. The consuming fire that he talks about here was that which occurred in the pouring out of the wrath of God. As we continue to unpack this book of Revelation, we will see see that that wrath was poured out on apostate Israel and that Jewish, uh, that whole Jewish age was about to pass off the scene. I'm telling you once more though, the word of grace is being released and it's shaking everything that can be shaken. I'm probably saying some stuff right now that's shaking the very foundation, but I promise you if you'll let it shake, the only thing that'll be remaining will be God's kingdom and God's dominion in your life. We're just running out of time. This one went way too fast. I trust you are tuning in every week as we continue to unpack this. That's the only way you're going to get these concepts. Take a moment to call the number on the screen and partner with us. If you want to see this message, take it around the world. It takes your help and your partnership to do that. We are deeply grateful for your cards, your letters, and your phone calls as you write and encourage us. Follow us on Facebook, and you can uh, see where we're going to be at uh, on my website. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.